What up artists? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm the creative director and founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. This is the Art Pays Me podcast and I'm passionate about finding ways that people like you and me can make a living for ourselves off of our creativity and you know maybe we can make the world a better place at the same time. Let's get into it. Art Pays Me. Today I have Iman Al Husseini, and uh, this is going to be an interesting one. A different pace from what I normally interview in some cases, I'd say. So, uh, what is it that you do? I'm a stand up comedian. All right. Yes, yes, yes. So, I kind of I came across you by chance one day because uh, somebody I know said, Hey, I think there's a comedian wearing one of your shirts on TV. And I was like, huh? What are you, what are you <laughs> talking about? <laughs> and, yeah, I, uh, I, came across, I, I came across your T-shirts before meeting you uh-huh. um, at a lovely coffee shop in Halifax. Huge fan of Halifax in general. And um, I went to this coffee shop. I wish I could remember the name now. Uncommon, um, uh, uh, Daily Grind. Oh, exactly. Daily Grind. I loved it. I love the vibe there. And you're, I just saw this tank top. Art pays me. And I thought I, I loved everything about it. And I, I got a tank top and I wear it all the time. I actually need a new one. This is how much I wear it, that it's been worn <laughs> out. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So how have you been coping through this pandemic? Honestly, great. <laughs> I don't know. I always thought I was an extroverted person but quarantine has brought the best out of me i'm just like doing all the things i didn't have time to do you know we always complain we don't have time to read i'm catching up on reading i'm i'm learning spanish i'm training my new puppy i'm basic white girling hard <laughs> by the way i love that puppy uh what kind of what kind of dog is it she's a cavapoo a mix of poodle and um, the King Cavalier Charles. I think that's the name. Cavalier King Charles. Okay. I have yeah. a Labadoodle. So I thought there was some poodle in there. Oh, yeah. The poodles, my wife likes to say, the, the whores of, of the, the dog breeds. Everybody mixes with poodle. <laughs> you know why? Be- like, because they're so smart. And exactly. I'm, is your dog hypoallergenic? Yeah, we needed, that's the thing. We feel so bad because we're, you know, um, a married lesbian couple and uh, we should have done the right thing and rescued a dog. But instead we got this like fancy um, (laughs) mixed dogs that doesn't (laughs) shed and uh, is really smart. And we're able to travel with her when we used to travel a lot for comedy. So you're saying you're a disappointment to the lesbian community? I I think so. Yeah, I'm kind of embarrassed to even talk about it right now. <laughs> oh, she's so sweet. Is she, how big is she actually going to get to be? Uh, I think up to I think her parents are like between uh, six and fourteen pounds. So we're hoping not more than fourteen. Mm, okay. Wow. And she's at seven now. She's six months, and she's at at seven pounds. I would say. Gee, a tiny, tiny, tiny thing. Wow. Yeah, she's she's all hair too. I mean, when she she's like really cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whenever we bathe her, it's really I can't even show you the photos. It looks terrible. It's like she's all hair. 
<laughs> yeah, but uh, I think that's the poodle because my guy's like that too. Right now, he because of COVID, he can't get groomed and he's like a big fluff ball. But once he gets cut, uh, he's just all bones. And it's, yeah. it's like a completely different dog. I know my parents met her. I feel so worried because I'm like, oh, I, she's growing. And like, we took her to, we were able to take her to the vet because we got her before the pandemic. And they said that she's like, she seems healthy and she's growing like she's supposed to be. But my parents made me feel so self-conscious that she's too skinny. I don't know if it's just like a Middle Eastern thing or the dog (laughs) is supposed to be like this or what, but um, now I'm paranoid and I, I, I try to feed her as much as possible. Uh, my wife was obsessed uh, when our dog was younger. He's like, he's so skinny. He's so skinny. Why won't he eat more? He's got to eat more. He's got to eat more. And I, <laughs> I felt bad because I was always super skinny as a kid and couldn't gain weight. So I was like, he's taking after his dad. He's, he yeah. <laughs> You're so lucky. I know we, we say that he's taken after my brother-in-law. Um, he does not care about food and he's super fit and just like constantly has a six pack so we're like she's she's definitely <laughs> she's definitely a curse she's taken after him because we gain weight easily <laughs> so um you mentioned your wife Jess. yeah you're palestinian is am i correct with that that's correct and she's jewish and she's jewish that's correct i like to be uh oppressed in the streets and in the sheets uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> How did you two end up meeting? You know what? Uh, She came on the comedy scene when I was already two years in. I thought she was a spy because she was a war (laughs) crimes lawyer for the United Nations. And then I hear this, this Jess Solomon is, is uh, a new comic on the scene. She gave up law to pursue comedy. And I'm like, she, she's, you know, Israel was notified about my success. I'm not, I'm no longer an open micer. I'm starting to do weekend spots. They found out, they sent her to sabotage my career. <laughs> but um, we were actually friends for, friendly um, for two years before anything romantic happened. Um, we, we got along, but it wasn't anything. We did discuss like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict often mm-hmm. um, and became closer when I co-produced uh, Kosher Jokes for the Holidays. This is the thing that I loved about... Um, living in Canada, just seeing how the Muslim and, and Jewish comics naturally gravitated towards each other. And that exposure made them like have relationships and stuff. And I really wanted to shed light on that. And we always talk about how our communities don't get along. And I really feel like exposure makes such a huge difference. So um, I spoke to my good friend, Jeff Shuela at the time, a Montreal comedian, he's Jewish, and, and told him about the idea and he thought it was great. So we got um, Jewish and Muslim comics that we know on the scene in Montreal and, and created that show. And it was such a hit. Like, like I said, I was two years into comedy and I, I rented like a big venue. We were like a bunch of nobodies that put on the show and it was uh, a success that it grew into a three-city tour and in Montreal, the show ended up going from one night um, to like five five shows over three nights. So it was a really it was a really fun thing. And out of it, uh, Jess and I got to know each other and, and fell in love and got married. So wow, just like that. Yeah, just so, like that. So like a passion project ended up like taking you all kinds of directions. 
Right. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was, I was just thinking, like, from personal growth to, like, even career growth, it seems. No. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it was, uh, it was just so nice to have both communities under one roof, laughing together, laughing at the same things, um, and just, you know, it's just at the end of the day, it's always. I always say that exposure is so important, and we're lucky to live in countries like we do. I mean, although the world is falling apart right now, but um, I do feel like the majority of of racist people or people that have hate are rarely exposed to the person that they hate. Um, and I feel like when you have a regular conversation or you laugh together, it really opens up um, your world. Mm-hmm. This is very true. Yeah. So, um, you were, when I first started talking to you, you were based in Brooklyn and now you're back in Canada. I know. We were like, we've been in New York for four years and thought that we were real New Yorkers after three years. But as soon as like something went wrong, we're like, (laughs) we're out of here. Although Jess really, Jess had a harder time uh, leaving New York. She really wanted to like stick it through and just be there and, and live through the whole thing in New York. I just, I was too terrified. You know, I just, uh, I just, between Trump wanting to reopen the country and how divisive he is and Andrew Cuomo just begging for, for, uh, you know, medical supplies, I was like, I cannot, I cannot deal with this. I cannot risk, um, you know, getting sick, going to a hospital, although we have health insurance, very expensive health insurance. Um, but despite that, I'm, I'm too afraid to, you know, something happens and there's not enough respirators. I, I need if 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 I die or I get an infection, I want it to be like more grand. You know, it can't be like she died in the emergency room because she couldn't get medical supplies. Oh, right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be like a big scene, not just like a random person on the side of the, in the hallway. Exactly, exactly. I can't just die on a stretcher and you know, in 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 the middle of everything. So. <laughs> Um, but yeah, luckily for us that we are Canadian, we had that uh, privilege of being able to come back, although we cut it really close, like right, I think the day before they closed the border, uh, we snuck in. Jeez. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, these are some, some wild ass time right now. You got COVID happening. You got protests going down. It's like, it's a mess. It's a mess over there right now. It's uh-huh. really, it's really a mess. It's really, yeah. And, you know, Trump is also like punishing blue states uh, by not providing uh, th- th- enough medical supplies or whatever it is. He's just, it's just, it was too dangerous. It was too dangerous to stay. Hmm. So let's take it back. What, uh, what were you like as a child? Oh my God. I guess very similar to how I am now. Um you know, I uh, I wasn't the best student. Um, comedy found me pretty early. Uh, I, I felt that I got away with a lot with my teachers because I made them laugh. <laughs> Any opportunity I had, uh, like oral presentations are the only reason I passed any French class because my writing and reading was so terrible. Um, and yeah, I was like every, for, for an average student, I was every teacher, almost every teacher's um, pet. So, uh, comedy was always part of my growing up. Also my dynamic with my family were either like really angry 
and fighting or we're laughing together. There's no in between. So we really relied on comedy mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in general. My parents, you know, I, la- I was born in the Middle East. I was born in Kuwait and we, we fled during um, the, the Gulf War in 1990. And just seeing how my parents coped with everything already. I mean, they've been through war before. That was their second war. Yeah. Uh, so um, just seeing them cope with it, the way he, they would tell us jokes and like fun stories and uh, just pretending that nothing was really happening to not scare us. So I, ju- I just felt that comedy is really a powerful tool to get your point across um, without like really shoving it down somebody's throat, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like when you, when you make somebody laugh, it puts their guard down and they just like listen to you more. Uh, so I really, I really, and I, in the entertainment industry in general, uh, as you know, it just did not reflect, um, minorities properly. So I, I felt like I needed, I needed to represent for myself and not have like, an East Asian play an Arab role and barely speak Arabic, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you like, you really, you really, I, I mean, I love that you just, you own everything about who you are and, and your background. I think that's, that's really refreshing. And you're like kind of a poster child for this new world in that you represent so many different identities and conflicting identities in many people's opinions, but like, oh, for sure. oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I always say also another reason I'm, I'm thriving in quarantine is I feel like my conflicting identities as a Muslim lesbian have finally found common ground between self-isolation and social distancing. Um, it's just um, be, being Palestinian especially was really um, is really something that I'm very proud of, but also seeing how people reacted to me saying I was Palestinian was such a shock, you know, uh, being born in Kuwait, living there until I was 10 years old, moving to Canada and realizing that people didn't like Arabs and Muslims was a huge, um, wake up call for me that I had no idea. I always thought that we were like such, you know, we're cool people. Why would people not like us? I didn't have a clue that we were uh, misrepresented and just like, really vilified in, in, in the media and being Palestinian specifically was so controversial for a lot of people. I mean, I would meet other Palestinians who would tell me at first that they were Lebanese or Jordanian or Syrian, uh, just to avoid conflict because it's so politically charged, um, to be Palestinian. And then when I tell them I'm Palestinian, they're like, Oh, us too. We just, uh, we weren't sure what nationality you were. So we didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to start talking about politics because you're just a natural born politician. Everybody just wants to talk about politics when you find out. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you my Uber rides, how they are. Iman al-Husseini, where are you from? It's like every single person. It has to be a political discussion. And um, I mean, doing a radiant, I love the way that you introduced me of being like, you're Palestinian, right? Um, I remember early on in my career in Montreal, getting invited to do a radio show and the radio host asked me uh, where I was originally from. And I said, Palestinian. And he said, oh, that's edgy. Can you imagine? So like, wow. I felt like it was so important for me to put emphasis on being Palestinian, on being very proud of being Palestinian, especially in today's world with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, where 
Palestinians are literally getting erased off the map. I mean, their land was taken. Now our food is being taken. Our language is being taken and just, um, just complete erasure. Yeah. I, I love how you, you go in on Israel sometimes. <laughs> I do. That's why everybody's like, are you sure you want to do this in the entertainment industry? I don't know, I don't know if you'll, uh, get very far but yeah i think it's important to call out things and a lot of jewish people are very liberal and a lot are not zionists a lot see the injustice uh that's happening you know like every other religious group they come in in, in different shades colors and political opinions so um it's so it's so important to not be fearful of of saying something to upset somebody i mean Listen, I'm also Muslim. I'm I've been outspoken against my own people, the injustices, the homophobia, the racism, the sexism, and in the Middle East, these things are like unapologetic. People are just like this is how it is. Men are better than women. And they'll like look you dead in the eye and just be like, "Yeah, of course, men are superior to women." Mm. You know, so I I feel like I've been a fighter since the beginning because I was just like, "How is how is anybody okay with this? Especially being Palestinian, like how could you be okay with any form of injustice when you're asking for justice for yourself, you know? Yeah, I agree. At the moment, we're, we're experiencing a, a huge backlash of, against anti-Black racism. But like at the same time, I hope at the end of all of this, it comes out as solidarity and not... Um, us all competing in the oppression Olympics and it's like oh yeah that really kills me anybody anybody who's comparing I mean to me all of my life although Palestinian woman gay the whole thing um there is no not to like compare injustices but what black people go through is like incomparable you know this this minorities being awful to black people including white people being awful to black people um there's definitely no comparison. These like deaths that happen. I do feel like the Aboriginal or Indigenous um, population in Canada goes through this very much as well. Um, there's a thing, you know, for me, I'm Palestinian. I'm not visibly Muslim. I don't wear a veil. I don't wear any cob. Uh, a lot of people could think I, I could be Greek or Italian or even Jewish. Um, so I don't get attacked um, for the color of my skin. A black person cannot hide behind anything. It's on their face. And I, I do feel like this oppression. I mean, listen, I think the solution for what's happening to black people is 100% reparations. Mm -hmm. I know that everybody says that that's not doable, but African Americans uh, have been robbed uh, for 400 years and it has to, and a price has to be paid for that. Uh. Well, I mean, all this coronavirus stuff kind of proves that America could have given out reparations all this time if they really wanted to. Because I mean, I can't believe how much money goes to the police force and all they do is kill uh, innocent people of color. So, yeah, yeah. give <laughs> give those police uh, pensions to to uh, minorities is what I say. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. Put that yeah. somewhere else. Uh, um. So let's make it, let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Tell me about the Al Solomons. So Jess and I, uh, Jess was also a comedian, uh, and I decided, well, actually it was, it was asked of us to perform together about a year and a half ago. 
we were, or maybe almost two years now. Yeah. A year and a half ago, almost two years, just got invited to do an English and French gala at JFL in 2018. And uh, they knew that I was going to be a good wife and, and accompany her. So they decided to give us two nights in off JFL to do whatever we wanted together. And um, BBC happened to be in town and they wanted to record a segment of our comedy. And the producer called us up and said, why don't you guys do five minutes together on stage? And we said, absolutely not. We don't want to work together. The comedy, you know, uh, is already, already such a solitary thing. And we're married. We don't want to get into a fight. And mm. they're like, just do, do five minutes together. Uh, but we're like, you have 7 million listeners. Like, we can't risk it. So they're like, okay, how about you do five minutes separately and then five minutes together. If the, the, the duo set is not good, we'll, we'll just play your individual set. So we're like, okay, fine. So we ended up doing it. Of course, everybody loved it. Just the dynamic. It's just that Jess and I are, are, are very argumentative. And I think that appeals to a lot of people. <laughs> so what we were afraid of, um, like fighting and stuff like that is something that people embraced in the end and just seeing how different we are. Um, so we're like, okay, great. So we did it. BBC was so happy with it. And then in off JFL, we decided for our two shows to do 20 minutes separately and 20 minutes together. I mean, the biggest fight of our relationship happened prior to shows. And both of us were just like, this is not fun at all. Um, if we end up working together, we're going to get a divorce. Like this is really bringing out the worst in each other. But people embraced it so much. We sold out both shows. They added a third show. And the year after Just for Laughs invited us to film a special for Crave, uh, which is now available for streaming on Crave. And yeah, and, and we've been working together ever since. And it's gotten so much better, thank God. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we survived. This is what we say. I think we're going to end up together forever because we survived working together and now we're surviving quarantine. So I think we're set. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> the first real collaboration I had with my wife was planning our wedding. Uh, yeah. And that was, whew, that was awesome. <laughs> Uh, Imagine getting like a divorce before you get married. Even <laughs> that would have been something. Yeah, because yeah, I was. A, I'm a designer, so I was the type of like I wasn't your your stereotypical husband who's like, yeah, you know, we'll do whatever you want to do. I was like, I want to. I think we should do this, and I like this idea, and blah blah blah. And I was very particular about how the invitations should look, and yeah. was, like, we just kept button heads. Uh, and what does she? Do? What does your wife do? Uh, she's uh right currently she's a vice principal at okay. elementary school. Okay. So, so actually, it's hard to tell. I, I guess it's hard to tell a vice principal what to do. They're used yeah. to being in charge. <laughs> yeah, like she's got that. Um, I, she was the type of kid that played teacher, you know, and as a kid, and and uh, she is kind of used to. It's funny because outside of the house, she's even though she's a vice principal, she's not like uh like a overbearing boss or anything like that but yeah definitely knows what she likes and what she doesn't like and she's not afraid to tell me and yeah it's one of those things that I just grew to appreciate because I'm like you know what at least I know 
I'm on the right track. Because if I'm not, she's not going to like, <laughs> she's not going to pacify me to make me feel good or anything. She's going to be like, nah, this ain't it. You got to do better. And I, I just. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Jess is exactly like that. Is your wife a Taurus by any chance? No, she's not. No. When's her, when, well, what sign is she? You know what? I don't even know, to be honest. <laughs> When's her birthday? September. Oh, that's uh, Libra. Very balanced. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, Jess, I mean, is not shy to tell me anything. It's 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 rare to actually get a compliment for her from her because she always wants me to be better. That's what I'm dealing with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, married life. Yeah. So um, here, here's a question that I have. Is it mm-hmm. true that most comedians, this is, this is a, a thing that I've heard anyway. Is it true that most mm-hmm. comedians are like dark individuals or have like really troubled lives? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of them are. Um, I, think, I think you resort to comedy out of, out of uh, some kind of, you know, negative thing that happened in your life. It's a defense mechanism. It helps you cope with whatever trauma you've been through. Um, I do, I do think so to a certain extent that it applies to a lot of comedians. Yes. And I I do find that comedians that are, that's why they say nobody likes a happy comedian. Um, (laughs) because like, what's the point? Nobody wants to go. Nobody wants to hear you go up on stage and just like brag about your life. They want to hear about the hardships. They want uh, to make light of difficult situations. It's a form of escape for both the performer, the performer and the audience members, I think. And that's, that was a really challenging thing for us when we were in New York and Trump won the election and a lot of morons were like, oh, it's going to be great for your comedy. It's actually like, it's a fucking nightmare. A lot of us are too angry to come up with funny jokes about this asshole. He's actually, his Twitter feed you know, it's like you can't even keep up because it's a disaster after a disaster. Um, it was too, too frustrating, but I think, yeah, I think it's like therapy for a lot of people who can't afford therapy or, um, find it easier to talk to a room full of strangers rather than like one individual. So yeah, I do. I do believe that. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting because, you know, I, you do, you're right. You just, you just often kind of see these if you look at it objectively, painful scenarios turned into some kind of brilliant observation that has humor attached to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, exactly. It it kind of like, in a way, eases the pain. It's like, on such a simpler, more basic note, but it's like when a friend of yours, yours calls you up and is like, oh my God, I have the best news. You're just like, okay, you're like excited to hear it because you're happy for your friend. Or a friend calls you up and says, you will never believe what fucking happened to me today. I'm like, I'm so into that conversation. Like, let me get my popcorn. Let me get my glass of wine. Go for it. There's something more exhilarating in hearing about pain and anger uh, not because you're happy that something bad happened to your friend, but just like there's, there's something humbling and, and just, um, I guess more exciting to hear than just like, I got a promotion today. It's like, oh, okay, good. I'm, I'm so happy for you, but you know. Yeah. So like, let's talk about your, uh, latest album, uh, Handsome Daughter. 
Oh my God. Yes. I'm so, I'm so happy. I got to record it in, in May. I got invited to do the Winnipeg comedy festival this year. I really love Winnipeg. And, uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, the local comics have been so kind to me every time I I've gone there. And one guy in particular started running a show at a new bar called handsome daughter. Initially, I wanted to name the album Cleavage Muslim, but when we did it at the Handsome Daughter, everybody's like, Iman, I think that title suits you more. So although I got a little insulted, I thought, okay, perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually missed my flight. I'm, I'm so sad. I'm so glad that I recorded it and I'm happy with it. But um, I almost, I missed my connecting flight because there were, delays from New York to Toronto and I got to I landed in Winnipeg literally 45 minutes before showtime I was a mess and I was recording two shows that night uh so I really tried so hard to hold it together and I'm old now like in my 20s I would have been able to like pull it off no problem Mm -hmm. but now that I'm like in my 30s late 30s I was just uh, so exhausted. So like that, that's a new thing for me. I can no longer like record a TV set. If I fly in the same day, I learned that when I came to Halifax for the last comedy festival <laughs> that they had back in the day, when I came to like Halifax in 2012 to record a set, I was in my twenties. It was no problem. I could fly in the same day. I could fly in half an hour before showtime and kill it. But now I'm just like, I need, I'm an old lady. I need to like land the day before, get my rest, wake up the next day feeling refreshed and then record. So it could have easily been a bust, um, that, that album, but thank God, thank I, it worked out. I'm, I'm very happy with it. I really, I mean, it's very, uh, religion heavy. I, I, I like talking about religion a lot and just, uh, dissecting all of that and how, uh, um, you know, I'm very critical of all religions, including my own. Um, so I, I was happy that I was able to put out all of that on one album. Mm. Yeah, you, <laughs> uh, you, you, and you ended it on a bang. <laughs> but, oh yeah, with my porn bit. <laughs> well, you know, I just never understood how sexuality became this forbidden thing, you know, like just, it's, it's such a natural thing and it became so forbidden and wrong, um, to, to feel sexual or want sex. And, uh, so much shame was attached to it when in, in sincerity, I think like religion should have that, not, not sex. So yeah, I like to do that contrast of embracing sexuality and, and my very, um, unique, uh, porn taste. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't isn't it interesting though that uh like television say not non-cable television they would yeah. show someone's head getting blown off or something like that but like right. a nipple no no can't can't have that like you know like when it's literally the most natural thing about human beings, everybody does it in some way. Um, it's, it's such an individual, beautiful thing. And you're not hurting anybody, you know, sexuality, if it was expressed properly and it's in a consensual form, like what, what is the problem? It's a beautiful thing. It's just, we put so much shame on naked bodies and, and, and sex. And I never, I never understood it. I don't understand how religion took off and sex didn't, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Uh, so 
do you have anything else coming up that you want to promote? I mean, it's hard to promote anything during a pandemic, but I am, uh, you know, doing uh, Zoom shows and um, IG live shows here and there, uh, especially during this time. Most of the shows that I do uh, are the donations are going to some BLM cause. And um, yeah, I mean, for, for those of you that live in Canada, please watch our, our crepe special. We also have our cartoon account on Instagram, the L Solomons. Uh, that that's based on our marriage. Uh, my individual Instagram is Iman Husseini. You could follow me on Twitter. I shit on uh, Republicans all the time. Um, <laughs> to Imani speak. Follow me on Facebook. Whatever, whatever you guys, you know. Uh, Iman, thank you very much for hopping on the show. I didn't honestly think you would uh, be able to do it. Um, so, oh no. I'm such a fan of your work. I'm such a fan of Halifax. It was such a fun, you know, we got to meet briefly last time I was in Halifax at that daytime show. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it was quick and we never really got together. I, th- I, I think we were supposed to like sit together and maybe record a podcast back then, but it didn't work out. Anyway, I'm glad. I'm glad. Now I have no excuses. I mean, I'm just like, <laughs> I can't say that I'm busy. I can't say anything. But yeah. no, I'm glad. I'm a, I'm a fan of your work, and I'm. It's always nice to talk to you. Thank you, though. But you know what? I feel that I'm in my late 30s too, and time and energy and all of that stuff. Uh, what happened to the times when I didn't even need to sleep? I could just. I know. I mean, just being in New York too. Like I got there in my 30s, in my 20s, when I used to go and do open mics, and just like I'd be able to stay up to like three o'clock in the morning. Now it's like I'm like hitting two shows tops and I'm like, I'm exhausted, you know, um, it's really the stamina really goes down. That's the first thing I notice. I still like my vision is good. Uh, everything's good. It's just the stamina has gone down. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of same with me, too. Even like even playing sports, sometimes I fool myself into still thinking like, hey, I'm, a, I'm still all right. But then after like five minutes out there, it's like, oh, no, I'm done. Um, oh yeah i mean working out is the only thing that i've included in my 30s and now i can't live without it it's just like i finally found the thing i know that i could never diet um i just love food too much and it's so hard for me to deprive myself so i started exercising seriously um in in the past three four years and it's i can't live without it i'm not saying that i'm like ripped or anything but i finally found something to like block me from becoming obese because that's the route I was <laughs> I was going towards. So, um, and it's just good. It's like good for your heart. It's good for that stuff. So, yep, yep. I feel you. All right. Yeah. So anyway, I'll let you go with that. And um, once again, thank you for doing our pays me. And I'll talk to you later. Of course. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Art Pays Me podcast. Thank you to Lange Beats for the theme music. If you got anything out of this show, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. The more you do this, the more reach the podcast gets, and the more artists I can help learn to make a living at what they love. If you want to know more about what I do, hit me up at rpaysme.com or at rpaysme on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest. See y'all next time.